Welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, coming to you from the streets of Rome, and we are very pleased to have with us Michael Matt. Stay tuned. begin as we always do with the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Michael Matt needs no introduction to almost anyone, especially not to you, but I'll do that anyway. Michael Matt is the editor of The Remnant, comes from the oldest Catholic publishing uh, newspaper in the United States and is just an awesome Catholic, a man of great faith, a defender of tradition and of the ancient faith. And he's been so motivational to so many of you, to me. Um, it's a great privilege for me to have Michael on the show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Sir, thank you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got where you are today, your family history. I was so interested in that when I first heard about it. Where does Michael Matt come from? Well, it's kind of a long line of cantankerous Catholics over the years who believe in uh, in defending the faith. Uh, my great-great-grandfather uh, started the newspaper Der Wanderer, which was the German version language or language version of the uh, the Wanderer, which is the oldest weekly uh, Catholic magazine in the United States. My great-grandfather, um, my grandfather, was a Knight of Saint Gregory, and they were all they were all uh, journalists, Catholic journalists. Uh, my grandfather and great-grandfather saw their mandate as having come directly from Leo the Thirteenth who commissioned the German, especially the German journalists, and the ones especially that have gone to, to the United States, to defend the German immigrants against the ideas of the German Enlightenment and Freemasonry and so forth. Uh, and so they, there's, there's a long history in our family of defending the papacy, defending the Pope. Um, and it's interesting because my father then uh, was the editor of The Wanderer for a number of years. The Vatican Council came along and divided the two, the two brothers uh, over the crisis in the church. And that's when my father founded The Remnant, which is the oldest traditional Catholic newspaper in the world. And uh, it's, it's interesting because I, I feel that heritage even to this day in that what my, my lineage is, is to stand strong in defense of the papacy and in defense of the Pope. And so I get in a lot of trouble, for example, for insisting on calling Francis his holiness, your holiness, because we need to protect the office of the papacy no matter what. The office is ours. That belongs to all of us as Catholics. And no matter what happens with the man sitting in the office, we need to do what we can to defend the office because another man's going to come along and fill those shoes. So even today, when it becomes a little bit more necessary to be critical of what's happening here in the Vatican, um, it's necessary still, and I know, you, I know you agree with this, to do whatever we possibly can to maintain respect for the office, even though we're in the middle. I don't know what you think, but I think we're in the middle of the, the worst crisis in the church, possibly with the exception of the Arian heresy. But I would argue, I think we're, we're even surpassing that at this yeah, point. Yeah, I so. think so, because as some historians have told me, at least the Arian heresy, it was only one heresy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, your, your genesis, therefore, is, is very steeped in the faith, but the controversy around Michael Matt, the, the perhaps persona that others have given you, is someone who's really radical, but in my conversations with you, I found you most non-radical. In fact, a lot of people think that you go to only an SSBX parish, and it's so much so that you condemn anybody for doing it differently. What's the story there? I think it just goes back to a certain um, perception that we as traditional Catholics, I, 
one of these days, one of these years, we're going to be able to dispense with that traditional, because if you're a Catholic, you're already, it's, it's sort of sort of redundant to say a traditional Catholic, of course we're Catholic, uh, of course we're traditional Catholic. So I think it goes back back to that, that the idea that we're more, we're more Catholic than everybody else, we're holier than everybody else, because we're taking a strong stand. But what I always hasten to, to uh, remind people of is that you shouldn't care at all what I think about the faith, matters of the faith, other than a conviction and trying to become a saint and become more holy. Sure, I'll tell you that all day long, but as far as how do we stand and resist, it doesn't matter what I think needs to be resisted. A Catholic, this goes back again, my father's, grandfather's, great-grandfather's all along stood with the teaching of the church. And that's the only authority that we know as, as, as faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ. We don't have the authority from within other than in our adherence and our defense of tradition. So over the past 50 years, and again, Everything that's happening in the church today didn't start with Francis, with the problems. It goes way back. It goes beyond Vatican II. I mean, Pope St. Pius X was talking about the invasion of modernism, which is the synthesis of all heresies, a hundred, well over 100 years ago. An invasion into the church. Into the church. And he uses the term, in the, in the heart, at the heart and bosom of the church, you have the synthesis of all heresies already. So it began a long time ago. But let's face it, it came out of the closet to a large degree at the Second Vatican Council. And so what you had, like with my father at the Second Vatican Council, was a certain horror because the very things, the very ideas that his father and his grandfather had been defending, you know, the, defending the church, defending against, were now suddenly coming from the middle of this city, were coming from, from the Vatican. In other words, there had been a breaching of the walls. and gotten over the walls. The fort had been betrayed, not by everyone, but to an extent, had been, been betrayed in very high positions. And so those errors now were coming from the church. And it broke their hearts. That's the thing I always want to stress with the pioneer traditional Catholics like my father, like Michael Davies, like Archbishop Lefebvre. It broke their hearts to be at odds with this town, with the Vatican, with the Pope. They always remain loyal, a loyal opposition to the Pope, but still to be in any way standing against the Vatican is not a comfortable place for any good, solid Catholic, faithful Catholic to be. So I understand people think, well, who does Michael Matt think he is? You know, who does he think he is? And I say, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. All we're saying is, I was taught in Catholic schools by Catholic nuns, and probably of the last generation remembers the old Catholic nuns. I was taught the catechism very carefully. I'm well catechized in eight, 12 years of Catholic school. And how can that change? That can't change. So when I go out into the world, I have seven children to raise my children. I remember what was taught by Mother Church, and those things are in here forever, please God. And so when I run into priests, bishops, even popes now who who seem to be sending a different message or certainly a confusing message that goes contrary to that catechetical fundamental instruction in the faith. I don't know what the alternative is other than to respectfully resist. Other than to say this cannot be right because either everything that was taught for 1,965 years in the church was right or it was wrong. And if what we're hearing so often today is right, that means almost two millennia of church teaching was wrong. And the faith is supposed to be reasonable. That's not reasonable. It's like Martin Luther. How could he be right to say that no Catholic actually got it right until the 1500s? Before that, it was all messed up with regard to the papacy and the mass. It makes no sense. There's discontinuity then back to the time of Christ and to the apostolic times. Same thing with the Vatican Council. That said, I think it's very unfortunate that you know we, we, we do have what's kind of called known as the ugly traditionalist, someone who is out there all the time just telling everybody off, stopping people in the middle of their lunches and yelling at them and berating them. That's not the way it is. We, have, we know from Sister Lucy that there's a diabolical disorientation in the church. So as Catholics, we have to, we have to love, people back, love people back to Christ, love them to tradition, and take into account that diabolical disorientation, which leaves them oftentimes very lost and confused, you know? Yeah. So 
What about a ton of people who really can't access the traditional mass at all? Uh, I, I come from Canada. In, in my area, we have one maybe once a month, uh, but really no real access to the traditional Latin mass. You know, we, we try and make our parishes as best as possible. Could, I guess we could never consider ourselves traditionalists, though. I disagree. Yeah, I disagree. Because, again, of the diabolical disorientation. So I know, for example, very good priests who are not in a position to say the Latin Mass. I know some young priests who simply haven't learned it yet, but in their hearts are absolutely committed to the idea of liturgical restoration. I know middle-aged priests who have woken up, they realize there's a problem, now guess what? They have two, three, four hundred families that they can't just run off and join a society and leave all those, 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 those families behind. And so they have a, a crisis. What, what do I do? Do I abandon the flock? Do I gradually try to get the bishop to allow me to have the Latin Mass? So in other words, they're already, heart and soul, they're already with us. They're already traditional, some, I would say tradition-minded Catholics, but certainly, arguably, they're traditionalists. They want to, they want to come back, but the, the, the infrastructure is such that it's very difficult to do that. And it's the same for a lot of families who say, you know what? I just can't imagine sleeping in on Sunday morning. I know there's something inherently wrong with the Mass, local parish Mass. I just can't sleep in on Sunday morning. And that's between them and, and God and the good priests that they can find. I would never try to tell someone where they're supposed to go to Mass. All I can do is say, this is what I do. I don't go to the new Mass. I, don't, I have seven children. I don't expose them to the new Mass. Uh, all of them are now traditional Catholics. I have some one, ones that are out of college already. Um, and I think it's partly because we took a stand. But that stand is not to condemn everyone who's either in, uh, in route to finding the traditional Mass or who just doesn't quite understand it yet. But they're good people. They're saying their rosary every day and they're trying to, they're trying to, trying to become saints. It's a huge mistake for quote-unquote traditional Catholics to cut off that whole demographic. So we, we will not be soiled by being with you. And, and as I say, so many people now, especially since the crisis has really become heightened, so many of them are seeing it, and they really are traditionalists, and they're trying to learn how to become traditionalists. Let's go out and get them. Let's not push them away by saying you're not good enough yet. <laughs> One of the things that I found really fascinating is this idea of yours of this being a hopeful time now i i've been very hopeful too in that all the quote-unquote bad news stories that we've seen while there is that there's also a truth that our lady warned about the times when the final battle over marriage uh, excuse me the final battle between uh, the reign of christ and the reign of Satan would be over marriage, marriage and family. Yeah. it seems like we're in those times at least according to cardinal Cafaro, who got the message from sister lucia also though in the scriptures we read where sin abounds grace abounds all the more more sin now than ever before. So I feel a sense of a lot of hope, and I've seen a lot more people taking their faith more seriously. But you have an even, I, I think, a much more interesting take on that, having struggled sort of in the trenches of traditionalism for so long without any sort of support or recognition whatsoever, and that's changing now. It's, it's changing dramatically, and you mentioned earlier that this is a perception that, that uh, traditional Catholics are oftentimes, you know, a little bit headstrong, a little belligerent. Um, and that's because they were in the catacombs, they were in the trenches, and it was very popular to, um, to sort of you know, at attack them or say that they're in us, say you're in, you're in schism, you're, dis you're disloyal, you're not a good, faithful Catholic. And so they got on defense and then sometimes get a little nasty, it's natural. But no, since, since things have happened now in the church, we see the fulfillment of prophecy, Our Lady of Fatima, for example, this was all predicted. Uh, we know that in the end, she's gonna, her Immaculate Heart will triumph, we know that Christ will be with us always. And just to have this awakening, I mean, I'm walking around this town right now, there's a lot of sad people in this town, there's a lot of distressed people, there's a lot of angry people. 
Michael Matt the Rad Angry Trad is smiling large because it's really nice to see the awakening that's happening. It's really such a grace from God to have a Cardinal Burke, for example, who's saying, no, you're not crazy, you're not extremists, you're not rad trads, you're faithful Catholics who are afraid, who are heartbroken, who've been suffering. And that's just, you can imagine, for especially people even older than me who've been in this all their lives, to have the acknowledgement now from high-ranking members of the church, hierarchical members of the church, that they weren't crazy, that this really is real, it really is bad. And I think it had to come to this. It's not just the human consolation of knowing that we weren't crazy or that we weren't alone. It's the idea that, that, that God couldn't let this go on much longer. For the sake of the children, if nothing else, he has to intervene. And one has the impression right now he is, in fact, intervening through this awakening, this awakening that's coming through all across the church, good people are saying, okay, I think it's gone way too far. And I think it would be a huge mistake at this point to say, well, it's about time for traditionalists. It's about time. Where you been? Told you so. We were right. That's a huge mistake. Now is the time to reach out to everybody who's beginning to see through the grace of God and just through the nature of the revolution, they're beginning to see the truth. And we have a beautiful, beautiful opportunity here to bring people together. Because if we are called to martyrdom, do you want to do martyrdom by yourself? I don't. <laughs> but maybe if you and I know that we're going to both go up the scaffolding together, we're going to make a pretty good show of it, even humanly speaking. So the idea of bringing all these people together now uh, to make a stand in favor of Christ the King, in favor of the traditional Latin Mass, in favor of truth and, do and sound doctrine, there's a game afoot here. Something's changed. And yeah, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> Maybe I'm crazy, but I don't know. I feel pretty excited about this opportunity. I, I, I think it's really true. One of the most unifying factors actually has been the love for Our Lady and the traditional consecration to Our Lady. St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary was the means of my conversion. And I found more and more and more that that is becoming home for people. And it actually leads them to tradition mm -hmm. because in de Montfort's uh, method of reception for Holy Communion, for instance, the Domine Non Sin Genius is done three times. The Lord, I'm not worthy. One to the Father, one to the Son, one to the Holy Spirit. It itself harkens back to the tradition because it came out of that and it makes most sense in the traditional Mass. So when I was introduced to the traditional Mass, Early on, I wasn't paying attention because of my dad and I wasn't practicing yet. But later, all those pieces started to fall into place. So you had this incredible uh, link between Our Lady and tradition. And where I see right now the most faithfulness, the most uniting, uh, is under the banner of Our Lady. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been talking to you for years about trying to convince you to come along, bring some of your team to the Sharp Pilgrimage. And you mentioned Louis de Montfort. I mean, he's the one. If you look back at the history of the French Revolution and the immediate aftermath, the reason that we have the great upright Catholic, the traditional Catholic uprising in the Vendée, which basically are the, the forefathers of the traditional Catholics today, the reason that we have that, the reason they're all wearing the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the reason they had the rosary was part of their battle armament, they took it literally into battle, was because of St. Louis de Montfort, because of the devotion, true devotion to Our Lady. Hmm. So you can see that even now we have devotion to Our Lady is on, is on the increase, devotion to the Sacred Heart is on the increase. Matter of fact, we have the Sacred Heart Guild at the Remnant. Anybody wants a free lapel pin of, of, of a Sacred Heart, just like the Vendéans wore, let me know. Um, we're spreading, that's spreading rapidly, and people are, are beginning to see that that is the spiritual solution. And that's another thing, there's a certain joy in that too. This church is too big for us to fix. It's too big for the devil to destroy too. Uh, the only one who can, who can save the church is, the, is, is God himself. It's his bride. We just do our part. But in order to do our part, we have to arm ourselves. And I, I completely agree with you. It starts with Our Lady. And that, that sharp pilgrimage uh, is where you really see all these young people coming out. They're raising their statues and their banners to Our Lady. It's an army. It's a militant, peaceful, militant expression 
of fidelity to Our Lady. And it's almost as if all the saints of Christendom are celebrating this because the saints, as you know, you walk around the churches, especially in France, are closing them down. They're getting rid of statues. They're getting rid of devotion to Our Lady. And that during that pilgrimage, it all comes back. And heaven seems to look down and sort of smile when she sees this is it. This is what it was all about. Simple, not childish, but childlike faith in, in her, in her, in her son, in the ultimate triumph of the Immaculate Heart. That's the stuff that changes history. Not necessarily the polemics. Polemics are important. I'm not anti-polemics, but that's the stuff that really can motivate mountains, move faith, and change history. And so, happy? Yeah, I'm real happy, because they failed. All of that is coming back. It's not going away. It's coming back. So it's, it's a wonderful sign that God is still with us. The amazing thing I find is that a lot of the same players are taking part right now. Cardinal Casper was in the debates. Cardinal Lehmann, um, Mar not March, but, but Casper and Lehmann for sure, they were actually part of the old debate of the Second Vatican Council, mm -hmm. the, the progressivists, if you will. Um, and they're back again. These radicals, Daniels, and I was unbelievable and yet I wonder if their presence isn't also linking the current crisis to that crisis in a way that's waking people up. I think so. I think so John Henry. What we're seeing right now is sort of a, an ecclesiastical version of Woodstock. You know everybody's looking back at Woodstock and if you're old enough it still means something but most people are kind of going, come on guys, let's move on. You know, it didn't work. The tie-dye shirt looks terrible on me. We're kind of done with it. And I do think you're right. I think there's a certain, those figures are beginning to sort of connect to something that's, that's become rather passe. And I think, honestly, I think that's, that's one of the reasons Francis on the way back from Madagascar mentioned that he's not afraid of schism because in fact, they think that might happen because the old guard here is becoming a little bit weak. And I don't think, I think they've lost the ability to, or the confidence anyway, that they can do whatever they want. The Catholic people, I think, are very close to, if not already there, they've had enough. And I think those figures that you mentioned only help them to kind of see it as, as something that needs to go. And the, the, the future, obviously, is, is tradition, you know, a back to Catholic restoration. That's what's filling the monasteries and the convents. That's where all the vocations are. That's where all the young families are. I mean, so, so many of them. So I think that there is a concern that tradition is going to become new again, just as we always knew. But isn't it wonderful to kind of live through it beginning to happen here? It is. What's your concept of Unite the Clans? This has gained a lot of traction from what you said. You have a hashtag out, Unite the Clans. Yeah. What's that? I think that before, when there was more confusion, like I said earlier, no one wants to stand against the Pope. No one wants to you know, be in this ridiculous position of standing against your own mother, Holy Mother Church. But in our human element, we have to do something. And I think before, there were all sorts of theories and ways and good strategies and bad strategies and a lot of division over what's best. Because literally, the, the shepherd had been struck, I think, it's fair to say, and the sheep had scattered. And so you had a lot of confusion as to what was the best way to, 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 to make this Catholic counter-revolution happen. And I think now, we have, like I said earlier, we have this moment of clarity. Many, many people, even here in Rome, there are many more cardinals than Cardinal Burke and Bishop Schneider and you know, Cardinal Seurat who are seeing the thing. They may not be speaking out, but we know they're there. And they're, uh, there's, a, there's a great change happening, even in the Vatican. There's a, I shouldn't say great, but a subtle change. And so I think that now with the, with, with the people, we have an obligation. The princes of the church, eventually, the church is not, a, is not a, a democracy, it's hierarchical. It has to come from here, this restoration, but we need to think, put our heads together and say, what's the best thing that we can do to help that, humanly speaking, spiritually, in every other way? And so all the clan, all the traditional Catholics, I think they need to get together, have a big, you know, a virtual conference, if you will, and say, okay, let's knock off this intramural, intramural you know, squabbling 
like the um, LGBT group has, movement has done, the pro-abortion pro movement has done, where they're, they're all pretty, they're pretty focused in on a common cause. I'm certainly not endorsing those movements, but that strategy is effective. That's what the Catholic Church used to do. We're on the same page. And I think the traditional Catholics, conservative Catholics, uh, what should I say, just faithful Catholics, need to come together and say, let's, let's get over ourselves. We're not going to agree on everything. Let's, the lay people need to come together and do whatever we possibly can to support this restoration. Your priest might not be able to say, if you're in the Pius X Society or if you're in the fraternity, he might not be able to say, hey, there's, there's, you know, don't worry about it. Go, to, go, go wherever you want to the traditional Latin Mass. I don't think we're going to ask the priest to do that. We're talking about lay people just coming together and doing this on their own. What does it mean? It's real simple. We're supposed to be charitable. We have to be charitable to each other. We have to be charitable to love our enemies. So it should be fairly easy for tradition-minded Catholics to say, let's just stop attacking each other and see where this plays out. You know, be dedicated to your version of how things should go, but stop attacking the other clans who maybe don't see it quite your way at this point. And so far, it's been taking off. I think a lot of people are seeing this as, a, again, a golden opportunity to become more constructive and less just sort of about social media and selfies and all about me and my little group and my little blog or whatever. Like, there's a much bigger war to be fought, and I think it's starting to come together. So I'm pretty excited. You started the Catholic Identity Conference, which was uh, uh, it was sort of uniting the clans. You, you called on Ed Penton. You asked me to come and speak there. You had our Diane Montagna out. Um, and you brought together a lot of different people. It was my first uh, time that I could connect with you, John Rao and, mm -hmm. and, and John Benari at the time, God rest his soul. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was beautiful. It was my first exposure uh, sort of to, to, uh, to that kind of thing. And it was really, really quite something. Your take on it now as you've seen the Catholic Identity Conference unfold. It's one of the reasons the hashtag United Clans came out because the Catholic Identity Conference has been such a huge success. And it's really important. I know people like to make fun of it. They say, well, you know, it's just a big group hug and, you know, we're going to put principle aside so that we can get along. That's not what it is at all. Again, it's based on, on Christian charity. So it's important to realize that when we get, for example, the superior, uh, the, uh, the, the district superior of the United States, Father uh, Wagner from the Society of St. Pius X, when we get him to come to this, put everything on the line, and we also get the Fraternity of St. Peter priests, you know, the Institute priests, the diocesan priests to come together, it's important for us to be very clear. To, we're not trying to manipulate them. They understand that, that there's a lot of suspicion and concern among the faithful. So they're not saying, oh, we don't have any differences anymore. And they're not saying anything like that. They're saying, the enemy is advancing. The forces of hell are moving really quick. I think right now, especially because the whole revolution is starting to get a little shaky. He's advancing right into our face right now. He's trying to destroy our family, the gender of our children, everything. So we're gonna to come together and see what we can do at least on the battlefield. If it's not gonna be everywhere else, if we're not gonna have all these conferences together, work together in other ways, at least when we have a, have a united front on the battlefield against those who hate Christ, who hate everything that we believe, while retaining the autonomy of their various organizations. I don't think this is a stretch, and, and I think the success of the CIC is showing that it's a desperate moment. This is a dark time in, in many ways. And so these groups are trying to say, well, let's give this a try. Let's just see if we can show the enemy that we're ready to stand against them with united front. Again, autonomy always preserved, you know? What in that battle, in the united front battle against the forces of darkness, what should our marching, common marching orders be? I think, I think it has to be, obviously, long live Christ the King, and, and the, the, the sort of the, the, the rallying cry is the same as it was for the Cristeros and for the, for the Vandeans and for the, the, England, the Catholics in, in the Western Uprising of England. But I would say our marching orders go back to St. Pius X, you know, restore all things in Christ. So not make it just the single issue. Well, if we get the Latin Mass back, then everything's going to be fine. 
That's not true. The Latin Mass was the only Mass in the Roman Rite in 1968, and the Revolution just marched right across the Catholic world anyway. So we can't treat that as some sort of a magic talisman that's going to take care of everything. We have to restore everything. We have to renew ourselves. I think that, that the idea of homeschooling and you know, concentrating on the home and on, on, on the rearing of children in a truly Catholic culture, those are the sort of marching orders, I think, restore everything, not just the Mass. Understand that this was... This whole revolution was supposed to destroy everything beautiful, true, and good. So as Catholics, I think we have to go back and start restoring the traditions of every aspect of our life, you know, including education, child raising, yes, liturgy, the prayers, the rosary, go back to the traditional prayers, and just take what the model that St. Pius X gave us, restore everything in his name. Don't be afraid to stand for Christ the King in a world that really, really hates him, and in a world, and even a church, that thought it had triumphed over the kingship of Christ. Clearly it hasn't, because we're all still here. So let's build on that. The kingship of Christ is everything, because that affects politics and culture and liturgy and everything. So go back, and if you don't have an understanding of what that doctrine of the kingship of Christ is, read your Pius XI. You know, read up on what was meant by the kingship of Christ, which is a feast of the church. It's not just a pious, a nice pious thing to do. It's what it was the marching orders of Holy Mother Church during the Nazi invasion, during the Soviet, the Soviet occupations of Europe, Eastern Europe. What does he say? He doesn't say, let's get together in dialogue. He says, turn to Christ the King. That's what Pius XI says. And I think, to me anyway, that, that presents a really good set of marching orders for us now. Let's do that. You know? Amen. The only thing I add, I think, is that I think a lot of this was predicted in 1917 by Our Lady. So one of the key elements of fighting this fight right now is what she asked us to do. The five first Saturdays is Absolutely. part of that deal. Absolutely. We need to do that. Michael, Matt, thank you for being with John us Henry. on the John Henry an honor. Show. Yep. Ave Maria. Ave Maria indeed. <laughs> We'll see you next time, everyone. God bless you.